So I got to say, bang up job on this Dreams cover. And, uh, you know, I, I love it from the very beginning, from throwing in the cassette to the Sammy Hagar quote in the middle of the tune to the ripping guitar solo. But how did you guys come upon Dreams to cover specifically? Well, J.D. and I both love Van Halen, and uh, I've been wanting to do this for a while now, and we were already on the same page with Dreams. I think that's both of our favorite songs, and we were on the same page with it, honestly, and I just knew he would take it to the next level, and J.D. being the prodigy musician that he is, I knew he could handle all the guitar work, and it would be great to feature him, and that's my approach on it, J.D. Thank you, Joey. You're so sweet. It's so nice to hear you say such wonderful things. (laughs) (laughs) I will say that um, when Joey brought the idea up, it was it was really cool because, yes, like Joey said, we both were very big Van Halen fans, and they've gone through many different chapters of their own, all of which we like. But the ones that stood out to us were like some of those those really big emotional hits, like like Dreams and some of the other songs that Sammy was involved in. So it was really cool when you know Sammy reached out and said that he really enjoyed it and everything. I think where it originally came from was really something that Joey wanted to do. And I immediately was just like, hell yeah, let's do it. Like, this is going to be easy and it's going to be fun. Not very often you get to do a cover of, of, a, of a great song, have like a lot of fun doing it. Usually it's a lot of, in my experience, at least it's a lot of work trying to figure out how to cross genre a song into another and then still feel like you're not doing something that's like disrespectful to the song or arbitrary in a sense of like just doing it for no reason. You know, this, this was really cool to us because we both loved it. It was great timing. You know, everyone's eyes were on Eddie and we're like, let's get on, on board with the whole tribute thing. Let's, let's do something really cool for it. And we we're really shocked and amazed to see such great response kind of like put forth everyone's feelings towards Eddie's, you know, legacy and stuff like that. So it's really cool to be part of that and to put it together. I would say we had a great time doing it. Great song selection as far as it being dreams. Like obvious choice would have been right now, but to do dreams was, was such a cool choice. 5150 is honestly probably get murdered for it, but it's my favorite Van Halen album. I learned about him in 84 and then 5150 was the next album. So that was the first album that I was anticipating and love that album. And certainly the, uh, the dr- Alex's drums on that album lend itself to the, uh, to the synth wave uh, vibe that you're going for on the track already. And, and some of the keyboards that were already kind of there to begin with, which was really cool for, for going that direction. Yeah, I, I think like you were saying right there, I think once 5150 came around, I mean, they, they had synth work and keyboard work before, but Eddie really got into it more, I feel, on the 5150 stuff. And all we did, in my opinion, I mean, I could be wrong, but I feel like what we did was not too different other than doing some dynamics in the vocals and really bringing the mix of the synth to the forefront and having the guitars take a little bit more of the back seat. We made the drums a little bit more straightforward, which was kind of calling for, you know, just keeping it going, honestly. But we wanted to highlight out of all of, you know, Eddie's guitar work, obviously the key solos and and any parts where he came in a little flashy. We wanted to, like, emulate that. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I love... I love both eras of Van Halen. To me, though, I'm, I'm a huge Sammy Hagar fan, so I, I love Sammy. And again, receiving his blessing, especially when it came out of left field, it was unbelievable. Uh, an experience that I will never forget. It's definitely my favorite thing that's ever happened in, the, in my music career, honestly. How did that happen? Was that something that through Shauna got the tune to him? Talk about that for a second. Yeah, she got connected uh, with his management and... We just kind of took a chance to see if he would at least wrap his ears around it. And 
his manager came back saying that he loved it and that he wanted to understand a little bit more of the project and what was going on. Now, Arena, you know, is in such a baby stage right now that it was kind of like, oh my gosh. So now I had to like write this mini bio about myself and like everything that I've done leading up to this point, <laughs> little successes all the way to now. Next thing, it's like, it's like quiet, I think for a few days. So he lived in Rochester, New York. I did not know that in the 70s. Wow. So he, yeah, so we're known for, uh, for food here. We're known for the garbage place. And like the place that pretty much started it all was Nick Tahoe's. And he shares the story how he said, he's like, I ate at Nick Tahoe's like every day for like a year and all this stuff. So all the little landmarks he was pointing to were very familiar with. And yeah, and next thing I know, we, we get this visual response and I completely lost it. And I, I started laughing out of like, excitement and I missed the entire <laughs> video and I had to go back and watch the whole thing again to actually listen to him and then I immediately sent it over to JD. It was just, it was super surreal. I still have a hard time digesting it because I forget that he's like talking to me, talking to <laughs> us. Um, I always include JD in this because he's he's like my other half when it comes to music. We work great together. He helps put all of my crazy thoughts and organizes them. And so I wanted to share this with him a lot. And I think it's something that we get to share this crazy experience together. This is like iconic and legendary Sammy Hagar talking to us. And that's just, I'll never forget it. It's a great story. And I know you guys have been bros for a long time. And since we have you, JD, talk about breaking down that solo for a second, if you would. That I imagine that's no small feat. yeah the uh i mean his for so long like i've i've been aware of like what eddie's known for guitar wise you know a lot of things i've applied to my own writing and projects i've done before my previous bands and i think that when it came down to like actually trying to replicate what he was doing it was like okay well which ones are the important ones which ones are the ones that gotta be there and what can i do on top of that to kind of make it a little bit of what I interpret his playing to be, you know? I didn't want to do exactly like note for note, perfect, complete replication because, you know, people are going to look at that and they're going to hear, okay, well, it's not exactly this or that's not the way he did it. Like, that's not what it was about. It was more about hearing what Eddie did and saying to myself, okay, what is he impressed upon me musically and how can I give back, you know, like use some of the tools that he gave me plus what I've done over the years and kind of let it, you know, kind of filter through me, but then have me speak it back. And uh, I think it was really about finding those important pieces, uh, you know, all, all his tricks, his tapping and his bending and all, all the, the dives and the squeals and all those things. Those are all the really great fun Eddie tricks. So they had to be in there. And then there's a couple other spots that I was just like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of take it and run with it. And, you know, we, we kind of took a little section out that was like a, like a, a musical turnaround that you could tell was really a very band oriented driving piece kind of get back to the chorus but we just kind of found a way to to remove a couple of those pieces and let it just kind of soar like the, the eagles taking off <laughs> i think when we were doing it we were as soon as we hit that last note that goes really high way back into the chorus we both started flapping wings just <laughs> take <laughs> off into the sun <laughs> talk about the uh, decision to actually put sammy hagar in the tune itself that was a, something that came up partially into wrapping the song up. I think we were probably like, I don't know, 70% through the whole thing of just like getting the song laid out and getting a lot of the layers put together. We're like, hey, wouldn't it be really cool if we could like use this section of the song, which really was already in the song. It was a piece that was used twice in the original. And instead of just repeating it, I thought, let's see if we can find a really great quote to kind of, you know, 
dive into the tribute to Eddie type thing. And, you know, we looked around. Joey found a couple excerpts of some things. And then we heard this one interview that Sammy was talking about how Eddie was inspiring him over the years to write all these songs and about his musicianship. And I remember looking over and when he was hearing it on YouTube, I was like, that's the one send me that let's get it in there and it really just tied it together and it's like this is officially a tribute song and that's really what we wanted that's so rad whose idea was it for the saxophone to drop that saxophone in there i think we both had that idea we just hadn't never said it you know we, we both like all, all this synthwave kind of stuff and the saxophone is like the guilty pleasure of the 80s you know whenever you hear that in a song you're like ooh, you laugh a little bit but you smile and deep down inside you really love it so we knew it had to be in there and i think it, at one point loading up the saxophone and just playing the sound it was like yeah gotta be there and we kept turning it up as we were working on the song i think it doubled in volume from when we first put the part in <laughs> it's great it totally totally gets that 80s vibe like you said and oh yeah now it begs the question like what's next is there an ep an album coming what's the plan for arena so right now we are just working on singles i would love to do a record obviously but i think right now because it's still in that younger stage i want to continue to grow and you know focus on song by song and just kind of evolve as a musician and grow into this genre a little bit and um i would love to sit in a studio for months on end and write this music all day long i think i know that we've had conversations of how fun this genre is and really just again incorporating the sax and the sense that you know all the synth sounds and really bringing in that I, I call it like the cheese element but it's really like i can have fun doing this all the time so i mean i'm sure it'll turn into a record i did not know i mean i kind of said i'm like yeah i got some other covers i probably want to do down the road being the response of this i didn't know i didn't expect any of this to happen but i, I got some other ideas i want to do i might do like a covers ep perhaps and just kind of like do a bunch of like my favorite 80s jams and just turn them into this style and uh, do some you know cool things with it, make it our own. Yeah, right now we're just going to focus on some singles. And uh, we have one coming out in a month, month and a half called Fever. That'll be our lead off single. And yeah, that'll be it. Can't wait to hear it. But I guess it's fair to say that uh, Outliers still the, uh, the main focus and priority. I feel like I'm a bit of a rare breed when it comes to like music. I can equally put a hundred percent into two projects. People have asked me, so is Outlier taking the back seat? Not at all. In fact, Outlier's just been so crazy busy in the studio that I can I kinda wanna now I use COVID to get Outlier like ahead and now I'm using COVID to like start doing this project. I've been wanting to do this. I've been chewing JD's ear off for a, probably about a good couple of years I wanna say that I wanna do something like this. So I'm just using this time now to kind of build it and, and go from there. Um, Outlier is a band that needs the tour. Arena is going to kind of be like a, you know, I'm not sure what we're going to do with it as far as taking it to live performance. It might just be like a festival thing or a specialty act type of thing. I'm not sure yet, but Outlier still requires a lot of love, you know, receives a lot of love from me. You know, speaking of Outlier, I did see you post about uh, tour dates with Dead Girls Academy in May of 2021 in the UK. Is that really going to happen? Um, you know, I have no idea why it's not been announced. I'm going to just sit here and do it and go against the rules, but it's not going to happen. <laughs> so, yeah, unfortunately, with at the time when the decision was made, there was some travel restrictions uh, that were happening that we did not know about. It was getting hard for visas to be done, and we were not getting a clear answer. Our agent was not getting a clear answer, and I guess they had all made an unannounced agreement that it was not going to happen. But, I mean, we're trying to reschedule the whole tour for 2022. Okay, cool. 
what are you hearing about stateside? I mean, that's that's what I'm really leading up to. What are you hearing about stateside for maybe playing some shows and, and getting on the road again? What can you tell us as, a, as an insider? I mean, you're starting to see things open up. They're announcing festivals. Uh, what was it? Blue Rock Ridge or whatever it was. They just announced that they had spoken with government officials and they're moving forward with that festival. And I think a lot of the big festivals for late August, September, October, they're happening. It looks like they're happening. Government has given the okay on that. Live Nation made an announcement, what, Judy, a week or two ago. I think you saw that as well. Yeah. So like things are moving forward. Our agent would like to get us out there in June, July. Our locations may be limited, but you know, we want to get back out there just as much as anybody else. And given whatever states that are handling that properly and efficiently, we are we're excited to get out there and play, quite honestly. And then are you holding back new Outlier music until you can get out there and play, or is there uh, music coming from Outlier? We are re-releasing who we are, but with a guest vocalist, Ricky Armolino, who is also in Ice Nine Kills. Ricky's a, a great buddy of ours, and he you know, did some guest vocals on it, did his own spin on it. It sounds awesome. We've been wanting to release that, but given the craziness this country was in around election time, we knew that it was not going to be a of focus or desire. And we wanted to wait until things kind of simmered down. And then plus the industry kind of shuts down for a bit. We wanted to wait for things to open up and for new music to start coming out. We do want to release a single called Bulletproof. We shot a music video for it. We've been sitting on it for a little bit. It's great. It's heavier. And we can't wait to release that one. So that's going to probably be right now. They're talking about four weeks after we drop this one. Okay, cool. So some some uh, drip marketing from Outlier. Tune here, tune there, coming, new music coming. That's great. We got that to look forward to. Yeah. And since we got you on the line as well, JD wanted to give you a chance to uh, go ahead and, and shout out any projects you're working on producing, anything you want to mention that you, you got cooking. I got a lot of stuff going on. Well, I'm in Syracuse. I got a lot of bands from Rochester that are working on some new music. And I'm uh, in the middle of working through a lot of the pre-production aspects of some new motionless music, motionless and white, and a lot going on. Staying busy. I think I'm, I'm, I got about a two-month schedule here. And yeah, it's good. I'm really excited. Outlier stuff is, has been on the hot plate for a while on my side. So I'm looking forward to getting that out to people as well. You being a producer, I mean, what's a big piece of advice? What are bands not doing that you hear? What should they be doing? What do, what do they seem to miss? They're not reaching out. Bands should be reaching out to everybody, not just like people to buy their or listen to their music. Like reach out to songwriters, reach out to producers, reach out to other engineers. Just introduce yourselves and reach out to see if there's collaboration opportunities. Young bands especially, they're unaware of the normalcy that exists in working with other people that are not in your band. There's a lot of bands that will be very hands-on writing their own music and doing their own as much as possible. For whatever reason, what they fail to recognize is the potential to get outside perspectives from people who have been in the industry for a long time to help bring new light to their music, to help them maybe reach a new point in their journey. You know, don't be afraid to reach out. There's a lot of people out there with a lot of knowledge and you know, a lot of people willing to share that knowledge with you. Well, I think, yeah, it's great and, and very important to always pay it forward. But interesting what you say, it's not about four guys getting in a garage and hitting play and record at the same time and knocking out albums and hits and jams. Much more bigger and collaborative than that. Absolutely. Especially nowadays, you know, everybody can record stuff from their own home. You could probably do it from their own bed. 
nowadays, like because there's so much out there, the next thing to approach is bringing in new minds to help broaden the horizons that a band has to offer their listeners. You know, because if you say the same thing forever, it might work, but there is something special about the evolution of a band and artists out there that really gravitates people towards them and allows their band to continue to grow more and more. It's kind of like being a chef, you know, you get better and better each year, you know, that stew gets better and better. You add more paprika and salt and whatever else, you know, into the mix. And it just gets that much better each and every time. Yeah. Just don't poison anybody. <laughs> unless, unless Same thing with music. Don't don't write a bad song. You're gonna poison your listeners. <laughs> guys, I really appreciate all the time. One last question. I'm gonna need your guys' help on this because we're one of these old school radio stations that still does mandatory Metallica. So I wanna unpeel your uh, Metallica fandom for a second, maybe when you first heard them or fell in love with them or what you appreciate about them, especially JD being a producer, sound wise or talk Metallica. Puppet. Puppets, baby, that will always be my jam. Cliche or not, I don't care. Long, it's full of riffs. I learned as much of it as possible growing up. Let's go. Yeah, I mean that album is <laughs> that album is, is a masterpiece. There's not a bad track on the album, Master of Puppets. I would say I definitely have to agree with him on that. Uh, Master of Puppets, Battery. But when I was getting into guitar, I was all about Ride the Lightning. I mean. Creeping Death Man, I would play that nonstop, and I learned that song through and through, and I love it, man. Loud, fast, Metallica, that's, give it to me, man. Even, that's why I was I was jamming Hardwired not too long ago. That's kind of like on my gym playlist, and I love that, man. They went to that old school sound and just fast and in your face. Give it to me. And JD, talk about them production-wise. Where do you think they were sounding their best? What, what was the best Metallica sound for you? Was it that that Master of Puppets album? Uh, I would say uh, Saint Anger. Come on! <laughs> Just kidding. Totally kidding. Totally kidding. I was Puppet, about all the way, all aspects. Love it. Yo, that's that stuff. Like all the guitar playing on that. The rule when we were kids was if you can't play this song without like alternate picking like you have to play every note with a down pick can't do it you don't got it that was the thing that was the mentality back then and i remember seeing them like they still today i believe they still do it like those guys got that dexterity and that was important as a kid growing up like gotta know the rule you gotta be able to play it like that puppets all the way jd let me get you on on the other obvious metallica question would you turn up Mm -hmm. the bass on injustice for all or what Ooh, no i would just put it on a system that has more bass You're not missing it in the mix at all? Uh, it depends, you know. It, it, it depends on if you really, really like, for the time period, like what was good then versus what is heavier bass-wise now. I mean, more modern music, like the bass just keeps getting louder and louder and everyone's speakers become more and more capable other than, you know, laptops and headphones. But at the same rate, like, it's kind of like a like a time thing. Like, I, I wouldn't necessarily go back in time and change, like, my favorite Thrice record to sound better because there's something special about it then. So, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe if I really dissect the bass from back then, eh, maybe if I had a chance to play with it, I might do it. But then I'd get lost in it and I'd want to change everything else too. But that's really not what it's about. It's about what it does for you at the time. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's what an album is. It's a stamp in time. It was what they were feeling going through and writing at that time. That's how they decided the bass should sound at that time, I guess, right? It's their decision sure. ultimately. That's why they're the that's why they're the mighty Metallica. I think if I if I let myself get too too deep into what I would change about things, then that's kind of our job as producers just to know when to put the paintbrush down. Otherwise, we're just going to keep going. There's times when I, I'll sit down to write something for an hour or two and I'll spend 
an entire day. Next thing you know, it's nine o'clock at night. And I'm like, where did the day go? Messing with this song all day. Put the paintbrush down. Let it go. Got to at some point. Yeah. <laughs> you guys rock. Thank you so much for the time and uh, best of luck. And can't wait to hear what else comes out down the pipeline from both of you guys. Thanks, uh, Mike. Thanks so much, Mike. Appreciate it, man. Have a good one, guys. Catch you later. See ya. Bye. Bye-bye. Dude, you absolutely rock. Thank you so much for checking out the entire interview. Now just hit subscribe. Subscribe to the podcast, Radioactive Mike Z. My interviews in their entirety, available on all the major platforms. Tune in, Stitcher, iTunes, SoundCloud, whatever you're listening to right now. Just hit the subscribe button. Make sure to give me a follow on the socials as well. I'll follow you back at MikeZ967. And bro, don't miss the radio show. Now 10 p.m to midnight on 96.7 KCAL Rocks in the Southern California Inland Empire area, Riverside, San Bernardino County. Always streaming on live at kcalfm.com. You, my friend, absolutely rock.